I don't know. My, my agency's very small, and their whole kind of attitude is just, "You're grown ups, so we'll treat you as such." And you know, you need to trust that people. You're will growing do the a job. mother. Are you a grown up? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Media Week podcast, the podcast made for media people by media people. Don't worry, we're not your CEOs just yet. We're your common media folk in the weeds of the day to day. Each episode, we'll share opinions on hot topics in the media world, along with some bents to keep you going on a Friday afternoon. So who's in the room? It's me, your host, Harriet from Publicis, Jack from Craft. All right, darling. Buki from Wavemaker. Good afternoon. And Charlie from MIQ. Hey, hey. In today's episode, we'll discuss how media folk are navigating B2B brands in the evolving media landscape. But first... The Media Week Awards. The shortlist is now live. Woo! Congratulations for all the finalists. Visit mediaweekawards.co.uk to see who's in the running to win at October's awards night and head over to the awards night page for more information and to see this year's celebrity host. Ooh, there are some hot entries. Celebrities. Hot. Fire. Fire in there. Some gorgeous celebrity hosts. What, what, what celebrities <laughs> are hosting? Well, have a look on the page and then you'll know. Can't, can't you tell me? No. Well, the, the four of us will actually be at the Awards night on Thursday, the nineteenth of October. I that's who you were referring to. The <laughs> I was like, oh, you thought you thought you like the four gorgeous celebrity hosts. <laughs> but yes, the four of us will be at the awards. Meet and greet for an additional cost of ten pounds per person. <laughs> Is that really what you're valuing? <laughs> I didn't set that right. Is that two pound fifty Harriet's, each, or is Harriet, that each one of us? It's got a folder of signed photographs <laughs> of herself. If you would like one. In gaming. Apple's iPhone 15 Pro, or whatever number we're on now, is arguably set to revolutionise gaming, with games such as Resident Evil Village looking quite good, according to an industry source. With improved hardware and software capabilities, um, iPhones are evolving into oppressive games consoles. What implications will this have for planners and ad formats on mobile devices? I don't know. That's an interesting one. Like, But you've been playing games on phones for years. It's just like the games are just getting better. Like, it won't have any implications beyond sort of, you know, more people potentially gaming. So yeah, you're just going to see continuation of the trend of ad funds going into gaming. But those games typically don't have, if you look at those AAA games, like, mm. they typically don't have any space for advertising within them. Like, those games, you basically buy them and then you have that experience. So I don't... Be interesting to see if they try and wedge in a sort of hybrid model where, you know, you see more sponsorship fundings mm. within there. There's more sort of advertising, you know, you buy your Walmart AK-47. <laughs> and well, well, I mean, may maybe they'll have like billboards in Resident Evil. You'll be fighting off zombies and in the background, you'll just see an ad for Coke <laughs> or something. <laughs> no, but I am. Pristine. You know, that may happen. Same. I think so. I think Jack's completely correct. I think that... Whoa, can we say that again? <laughs> we, we'll cut that. We'll cut, yeah, that. We'll cut, we'll cut that. No one tell him. But I think gaming needs to be viewed as just another channel now. I think people for too long have just thought, oh, we don't really know how that works. But people have been playing games on their phones for years, as Jack hmm. quite rightly said. And I think people just need to take a little bit more time and just plan it like a channel rather than planning it like an audience. Because he was for too long like, oh, we want to hit the gaming audience. So we go in games. No, actually, everyone's playing different types yeah, of games are oh, you yeah you yeah, see yeah not plan it like an audience i'm stealing that yeah you have that Publicly. that's all yours <laughs> don't you. plan it like an audience plan it like a channel 
Well, we've got more gaming news. Microsoft's acquisition of US video game holding company Activation Blizzard has been cleared, with the deal previously being blocked back in April by the Competition and Markets Authority. And the deal was about $69 billion. I believe. Sorry? 69 billion. That that's like a made up number. <laughs> 69 billion is like how that's like yeah. I couldn't yeah. even count to 69 billion. <laughs> Nobody can. <laughs> I mean, hey, maybe that's a great deal because I mean Call of Duty is pretty much the biggest game, isn't it? More it's or less. one of the biggest game franchises, but not yeah. the biggest, but yeah, it's it's not pretty big, large. It's not as big as Snake. No, definitely like, not. Know. You mentioned about like what does the Apple thing say for mobile gaming? But I think this is just an indicator of where gaming is going. Everyone is getting into gaming, whether that is Microsoft, Google, Amazon, like, What are you talking Netflix. about? My, Microsoft have been in gaming exactly. for years. Exactly. That's why, that's why I said them Mate, first. Mate, remember Pinball? That's why the, I said them the, first. Oh, and you know, Pinball 3D. Are, are they yeah. Isn't Xbox Microsoft as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's what, what I'm saying. Hang on. Isn't I, Xbox... You work in the gaming industry That's now. what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Right. I'm being <laughs> What's actually interesting here is given the we need to plan gaming or see gaming as, as a channel, but... Where does the lines blur? Because in a bid to stay relevant for future audiences, Netflix, obviously as a, an SVOD service, mm. is now playing in the gaming landscape by offering yeah. subscribers more experiences in that vertical. So now we're blending SVOD with gaming um, and with increased competition in the streaming industry. It's no surprise that Netflix strategy for specific games like zombie stuff is leveraging the kind of Halloween stuff. <laughs> So, leveraging what? <laughs> the Halloween seasonality <laughs> peak. Um, I thought you were getting unwell there. Now, the, the, the reason they're all doing those, though, is because if you think about Netflix, Netflix's competitors aren't just like Amazon Prime. Their competitors are like anything that's taking your attention away from them. So they're just trying to get people to give them their attention. And whether that's through, you know, them, you know, you watching beef on their service or if it's like playing a game or if it's doing that weird quiz trivia thing that you do when you can't decide what to watch or, you know, one of those <laughs> things. That is, it doesn't really matter so long as you're staying on the platform. That's all they kind of care about. I find it kind of interesting. Like there's so much focus on the gaming. It seems there's so much money. I mean, we just heard about the amount of money that's in it. There's so much sort of like everyone's trying to grab a piece of this gaming pie. But I mean, gaming's been around for so long. It's weird that now, like, is it that the world is in such a dark place that people need more more escape and gaming and fantasy world? Like, why is it that now it's taking off? Is it just an ability to combine it m more lightly with your brand and involve it more so? There's more opportunities to have part of that story rather than a brand sitting outside of it. Do you know what I actually think about that? I think the reason it's taken so long is because the people who grew up gaming are now of the age to understand it. So the people who were doing advertising, marketing, all of that stuff, when gaming started to really become popular, were too old to care. They were like, <laughs> we don't care about that. We know TV, we know radio, we know this, we know that. Gaming, that's for the kids. That's a playground thing. We're not advertising to kids. We're not doing it. They're only just aging out, to be honest, and we are aging up. So the people who know about this are the people who are like, wow, this is an untapped area. I know all about it. Let's get involved. Aging out is one of the most <laughs> brutal phrases I think I've ever heard you say. Aging out. Wow. Well, oh, just man. back on the Netflix stuff, yes. gaming has actually been available on the Netflix app since 2021. But according to a news source, the gaming availability on the platform has not been actively promoted. So it's only very recently that- Oh, now they're saying about it. Yes. Which I think, again, is smart. I think they've taken some time to build it properly. I think you've seen a lot of these other companies 
get into gaming quickly and shout about it and it hasn't gone very well so I was actually at the future of gaming conference uh, and there was a speaker there called Shay Thompson who is a uh, presenter and like journalist and she had she gave a really insightful talk and basically because I think we've actually discussed it why I think Google's foray into gaming wasn't as good as it could have been or Amazon's and she kind of put it in that Amazon's entry lacked creativity in the games that they brought out because people game they like the they like the storylines all of that but it wasn't very good Google's they are leading with like a cloud-based entry that she was like, I don't need that. I'll just wait till I get home and play. I don't care to play that game. I'm not that desperate. So they're almost solving a problem before the problem exists. Whereas Netflix, they're leveraging like existing IP and just bringing it in. Mm -hmm. So they already have an audience and they already have a use case. And then they kind of made sure it was right. And then they started shouting about it. So Netflix one is actually... Oh, so they're going to make like... The best. It's going to be like, what, like the Stranger Things game? Or, or even just like, even I think like things that have been traditional sort of arcade based games. Like I'm not a huge, huge gamer, but I used to maybe play when I was younger. But if I suddenly saw like it popped up on my Netflix, like, oh... That'd be fine. I used to play that or like yeah. you recognise, you know, oh, Bedlam. I would never buy it. Yeah, I'd never buy a console, but I can now engage with those games. So would you um, play a game called Dead Cells or Slay Away? I love Slay Away. Slay Away. Is that like in collaboration with RuPaul as well? Or <laughs> Wow, Charlie. If only you had Netflix in your repertoire last episode. Oh, but anyway, moving on. In social, according to latest industry reports, X, formerly known as Twitter, is trialling clickbait-style ads which are allegedly redirecting users to third-party spam websites. Users are reportedly viewing promoted tweets with no mute or block option. So what do we think, team? Has Elon become desperate to get that ad revenue? Did you see any of them? Because I had a look at some of these and, like... Talk to me. It's, Describe it's, one. It's very clickbaity. It would be like... A picture that shouldn't really... How can I explain that? Have you seen Jack's LinkedIn posts about the podcast? It's a bit similar to that, really. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very clear. It would be like, oh, can you, like, not sleep? This revolutionary new drug can help... Like, oh, so it's, that it's, kind of stuff. it's like the sort of bottom of the At article. The Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I don't name anyone. <laughs> it's, like, it's like... It's like Mothers hate this one cure. Exactly. How does everyone know? Was it those? Exactly. Doctors, yeah. isn't it? Doctors, Doctors hate, this, hate this simple trick. Yeah. I've got one quoted here. This seems unbelievable, but happens every day in Dubai. And then there's a picture of like a hot woman with two guys. And, it's like, oh my God, and she's like could, not wearing any me. clothes. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's, a exactly. Bit, it's a bit wild. I'm not going to lie. This sort of fits in with the general vibe of X at the moment. Because yeah. X has just kind of become washed with like porn bots and all sorts <laughs> of weird, weird bits. See, I was thinking it's giving the sun. No yeah, offense to anyone yeah. who's the sun. And also, I feel like everything coming out of there is like fake news these days. It's just not reliable at all. I think the worst thing as well for X out of all of this is that they've tried to change their name, but they're still just now X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> yeah, they might yeah. as well have just kept those two bits yeah. in there. That's because... a very good point, Charlie, because it's really annoying to keep referring to it as formerly known as. It's long. But um, anyway. Just before we do that, if anybody does have clients still activating, having paid media on X, I would love to speak to you. Please do like reach out because I just want to understand. Repitch for their business. No, I just, I, just, <laughs> I just kind of want to understand what the thinking is behind people who are still spending there because I think every week we're talking about it and it's never positive currently. No, no. Well then write in Media Anon maybe. I know, please do. Or just, just, just chat to me. I'd like to know. 
In other social news, Meta has reportedly paid £149 million to break lease on its central London office as more employees work from home. In contrast, as reported in Campaign, Publicist Group is making office attendance mandatory on Mondays, eliminating consecutive working from home days as of January 2024. I saw the video. You say reported in Campaign as though you don't work for publicists. Is it true? (laughs) Yes, yes, it is true. (laughs) I can confirm it's true. So we have to be in on Mondays. They've eliminated consecutive working from home days. Mm. So employees need to be in the office for a minimum of three days a week. I watched the video that went out because I was like, (laughs) that's funny because if you don't work for publicists, it's like, oh man, that's not great. But the reasons they stayed was around like creativity and collaboration and siloed working and stuff. I'm completely in agreement with that question is will other agencies follow suit better not probably better not why <laughs> i feel like everyone's trying to be distinctive anyway i can't see one agency being like our oh, publicist did that we finna do that too i'm not copying other agencies because then what else are you copying i think there becomes like a picket line of there's going to be some staunch agencies saying like we're doing this for our culture and the other side will be like no we're flexible come and join us because you can enjoy yeah. working here I think it's the start of others following suit, if I'm honest. It's funny though, isn't it? Because if we'd all been in like the pre-COVID world and they turned around and said, hey, we're going to give you non-consecutive work from home days a week, everyone would be like, wow, that's so progressive and amazing. So actually, if you just reframe it, it's not like they've ended it all together and been like, you must come to the office. No, No. I I, I don't think it deserves reframing though, because the world's different. Because if we started there, then fair enough. Mm. But we come this far. Yeah. And do you know what? I think it's just the fact that they're like, you have to come in on Monday. That's jarring me. Yeah. Get, out, get out of my business. Mondays and Fridays are sacred. You know, <laughs> get out no. of my business. I will choose the days. I will come in three days, but I will choose <laughs> them. And I will choose them with my team. Why make me come in with everyone? Employers love Bookie. <laughs> <laughs> I just love last episode where it's like, what would you do at X? I would lay low. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything for uh, a whole month. <laughs> nice, Vicky, nice. I, I, Thank I, you. I, yeah. In other industry news, a trade source reports on a need for an alternative to the consumer-centric funnel for B2B brands. Marketers and consultants agree that the linear funnel is no longer fit for B2B buyer journeys. Despite B2B marketing data spending in the US forecast to slow down in 2023 in line with Martech spending, is there a commercial imperative to invest in B2B marketing? You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, Jack. Well, no, no, I, I, I do, but there was a lot of... A lot of... Waffle? Yeah, well, it's just... <laughs> business what, to business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> question is, is agency resource set up to support B2B brands in the same way as B2C? I think that the real thing about B2B for me is this: it's got this kind of like, oh, B2B, you must be a specialist in B2B. And yes, there are some things that, are, you know, you need to be sort of like quite specialist about. But all the people who work for businesses are just normal people. Like, you know, we all work for businesses. We're, we are technically, we would normal. be part of a biz, business audience. We're not normal because we're podcasters <laughs> and a special breed. But I think there's this kind of like this daft kind of idea that there's somehow people kind of go right well I'm in business mode now and just sort of put on their business hat and just don't notice anything unless they're in business mode when I was an exec because I've, I've worked on b2b from the beginning of my agency life oh yeah and I was an exec and I remember writing something and being like I don't know why you guys are so big on this this ain't that hard just do <laughs> just do regular and like they were like oh cute and then like no one cared and like now I get to say it again yeah. And I think someone might care because I think you're completely right. I think B2B marketers, and this is no shade on B2B people at all, 
but have sometimes like made a career of basically saying that, you know, specialist, specialist. But when you come to B2B products and services, it is the same cycle that you go through. The buyer, like you said, is a regular person. And mm. if you have emotional relevance, before you get to the point where you're doing lead generation or ABM, you already have preference. And you want that before yeah. anyone makes a purchase. Also, like think about like Intuit QuickBooks, think about like Hickox Insurance. Like they've just come out with a load of really interesting ads from Uncommon who've done like they did a, a radio ad. Obviously, that's broadcast, that's reaching literally anyone who's listening to the radio indiscriminately. And the radio ad is in Spanish and then goes into English saying, Our insurance covers you for if you screw up and record the billboard the ads that are falling down. down that, as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nice. And it's like all that stuff, it's like, it. obviously, they're not just being like, we can only target the business people. It's mm. like, you know. Exactly. Both of you have answered my second question, really, because if you think that we can all do it, agency resources set up to support B2B brands in the same way as B2C. Quite, kind of. I think that you were right, because there are some channels that are bespoke and unique to B2B because obviously you've got your brand building stuff. And I think this is where B2B misses out. They forget that they still need to build a brand. They focus so much on the functional elements of their products and services and making sure that people understand them that they forget that people need to want them before they understand them. So we are half set up because if we bring yes. that in, we can do that. But then also... Like, for example, some agencies will be set up with, you know, your programmatic teams, your social teams, your print teams, your AV teams, blah, blah, blah. But where does some channels fit? So like my team, we do a lot of content syndication and lead generation. Who does that? That is not programmatic. It is not social. It is not AV. It's somewhere between content. We have to do a lot of technical setup in the background. Like, where does that sit? So I don't think they are set up for that. And you have pockets of expertise where people can do some of those things but it's not necessarily plugged into the day-to-day -day of the regular agency structure. I think you're generally right. I think the approach is all the same. I think that, that point... No, 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 no. sorry. The, the point you just made there was very right. And I think that is something where you need to go to specialists. And that's, I guess, the role of an agency is connecting brands and coming up with a strategy about how they work with specialists. I think at the B2B point, that's where I'd say you're sort of generally like, do they need? It's just the same stuff. Like, I think they are slightly different clients in terms of how you work with them and your audience is incredibly niche. And I think that is a problem. You have to have the bravery to be able to say, you can't just go after targeting these same third party segments that said they were CEOs because they didn't probably ever really exist. And in a world of cookie-less, they're not going to exist anymore. I've, I've worked with B2B specialist agencies who still hang on to that well, I don't, don't want any of these cookie list strategies. I want something that actually says it's a CEO on it, but yeah. mm. they're still made from probabilistic strategies. So I think the bravery is really important in understanding their challenges. I think if you can put that label, I think you should be able to do it without it, but there still requires a bit of internal agency marketing to show that you can trust us. We understand your business enough to have the bravery to say, actually, you're wrong. You need to do some branding up front and then focus on your CRM and the retargeting. There's almost no middle funnel. I like that bravery line though. I think that's huge because we struggle to get some of the clients to be like, yeah, I know you need business results and we will get you those business results. But for a second, just take a step back because there's only so much low hanging fruit that we can grab. And now you're going to have to go a bit wider. So are we saying that agencies in general need to grow their cohort of B2B specialists or it just needs to be better integrated in how we do things. I mean, it can always be better integrated, right? But like, I think if you're taking your 
audience work seriously and doing it with the rigor that you need to. You know, you should be able to work out the best way to reach the business audience, depending on, you know, what type of business audience you're going after. The thing that I'm less sure on, and Charlie can probably shine more of a light on, is how well set up, like, from a partner perspective, so, you know, programmatics, your kind of bag, but how set up are the sort of, like, more generic, like, catch-all programmatic partners versus, because there's a lot of B2B specialist partners, right? And they will always tell you that they are, you know, far better equipped than the sort of the big boys. So... What, what would you from so like I think, take off your MIQ hat? No, as well. I'll, I'll, I'll take, take off my, my MIQ hat. But I think <laughs> there will be collaboration between those. So a bigger programmatic partner like MIQ often works with those specialists as well and looks to enrich them further with the other side of it. But I do think that often if you look at a lot of those specialists, how their sort of data sets are built, they talk about having first party data at the core of it, but how big those segments are and how much they're scaled up with probabilistic sort of algorithms and lookalike audiences is always going to be a large part of it. I think yeah. that's the honesty that needs to come out is knowing that no one has just a huge bank of all the CEOs, emails and what websites are on necessarily right now. There's always mm. going to be limited scale. So you need to be upfront about there's going to be wastage. And just because someone tells you you're getting a segment of, oh, this is a CEO segment, you probably should listen more to the people who are being really honest and saying, you know, these are the ways we look to target them. These are the postcodes where we typically see them. These are the websites we see them yeah. on rather than someone who just says, oh, here's a ready off the shelf sort of CEO segment because there's going to be limited availability of that online. I would actually almost go as far as to say the standard B2C funnel that we've got where you might have like, you know, programmatic towards the bottom of the... Definitely retargeting. Yeah, all that retargeting, you'd have that at the bottom. When you're looking at B2B, I would actually have that near the top of the funnel because when you're looking at B2B, you want, you know, leads, form fills, some sort of acquisition and you're not necessarily going to get that with programmatic. So that's why for me, it sits a little bit higher up and you're able to afford that wastage. But then you go further down and we work with a ton of different content syndication partners and that's where we are syndicating to their network and we are getting first party data in terms of CEOs, management, blah, blah, blah. We're getting names, we're getting work emails, we're getting all of that stuff. So we go even further down, but it needs to have the programmatic a little step beforehand. And then what should B2B brands be doing and how can they supercharge, I don't know, their marketing efforts? And I think I'm going to have to say it, sports sponsorships. I think there is a huge amount of B2B brands in sports sponsorships. Mm. And so that kind of has the branding side of things all the way through programmatic, social, blah, 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 blah. And then through to content syndication, that for me is the elite way for B2B brands to create relevance, create emotional connection, take them all the way through down to actually functional benefits of services and products. So we've kind of done a full circle here because the original kind of comment was that marketers and, and consultants agreed that the linear funnel is no longer fit for the B2B buyer's journeys and you kind of affirmed that in a way i think it's extended i think there are more parts to the funnel for b2b what like a pipe at the end of the funnel yeah right. with mqls okay so it's so it's just like extended it's just an, plumbing it's, it's an, yeah exactly right. it's extended plumbing there's a bowser outside <laughs> i think that i think the middle of the funnel is where it gets a bit it's hard to be really targeted so you still need to try and do some targeted broader reach at the top of the funnel mm. the middle it's quite hard to follow that person online and push them to something but there's always a really important section as well which is about the lead gen at the end where you're capturing them i'm gonna i know i sound like a broken record because i say this every week but that's why frequency is so important that consideration chain 
change and the sort of the, the kind of movement from actually being memorable and into something that people actually consider only really happens when you hit sort of a double figure effective frequency now. In like the 60s, it was like we planned to three plus because everyone was like, well, I've seen a TV ad and I drove past a billboard today and there's a song on the radio. But like now it's like, ah, there's ads everywhere. So in order to cut through and actually drive that kind of switch into consideration, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO or, or me, you need to be hitting that frequency because that's when people will start to change like how they think about you the funnel the funnel just works it's, it's the funnel that's like the funnel it. we like the funnel we like that's the funnel, the funnel. okay the, well i was gonna say the solution to more ads is just more ads is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> no it's I'm better so glad we it's, heard that. no no yes. it's not it's not more ads it's better planned ads better Charlie. planned okay. frequency of ads uh, <laughs> ring 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 hello media and on so, we had a couple of media anons. Did anyone write in any STIs this week? No, it... no. I hope I think it might be Is there fixed. not a follow-up? No, we didn't get any follow-up on that one. Well, we, we, well we solved it for them, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. So, why would they follow up? So, we've got two today. Go. Okay, the first one is, had my own design business for six years while studying and working a retail job. Ooh. Once I secured my first mortgage and finished my degree... I got my first design role within an agency and whoa, let me tell you, working under someone is not for me. In my first week, the head of design asked me to change the colour of something to a more urine yellow. I'm no doctor, but I'd imagine that my urine is a different colour to his. Perhaps pastel <laughs> or sunshine would have been a better choice of words. I've been here 10 months and ready to jump ship, but trying to secure yet another mortgage. So I am stuck here for the time being. Just needed to get that off my chest. All right, so it's not even a question. It's it's more a howl at the moon. Just bursting, bursting to go. I think I think that's absolutely hysterical, though. The fact it's like, yeah, a more a more urine yellow. I love that's where you draw the line as well. You're like, you said a bunch, you said a bunch of things, but when you tell me to make something more urine yellow, I'm done with you. I don't want to do I think, this. I think, I mean, no, thank you for sending in the media and not. It's always appreciated. But I mean, you are going to struggle if you can't like work for a boss. Like everyone's got a boss, mm-hmm. like especially in this business. Because like it's either that or you presumably would go freelance or, or something. Scary. And then and then you're into that. Particular... But even a client's going to tell you they might be like, our yeah. logo needs to be more, more mm-hmm. piss yellow. Yeah, what is the... <laughs> The brown isn't quite, uh, <laughs> yeah, it needs to be more. Don't. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. I don't think this person's actually looking for any advice. Maybe monitor the relationship with head of design and maybe just, you know, put these in a box and maybe have an open conversation and say, look, I don't like this type of feedback. Okay. Mm. Well, I think yeah, maybe just like you have to go back to freelancing. That and also I would say if you're giving feedback, potentially like just leaving bodily functions out of the feedback yeah. probably a good yeah, good idea the you know, as the listener has rightly said there are other ways of anchoring color than <laughs> <laughs> okay okay well how would we do it then how would we describe a more urine yellow well i don't know it depends how it hydrated you yellow. are transparent sort of yellow also hue. translucent how, yellow uh, what is it like have you had a barocca that day yeah <sighs> Christ. Sunshine yellow at what time? We're not we're trying, we're trying to five away from <laughs> This is a professional podcast. <laughs> the last one is, and I feel like everyone can relate to this one, is have you ever worked on a campaign that is so dull it makes you question if you're in the right job because I've been feeling like that recently? I mean, I will say I think that's the case in all jobs. 
I think at some point Not at MIQ. in every job, <laughs> you're going to be doing something and think, do you know what? I really could just be taking a nap right now. I'd rather do that. But I need to pay my rent. I need to pay my mortgage. But at those points, it's just making sure you've got the right team around you. And like you at least enjoy like your colleagues company because it just makes a boring task less boring. And so this campaign is so dull. It's yeah. just this campaign. It's like... Yeah, have you worked on a campaign that's so dull? Just this, just a particular campaign. Oh, you get through it. You know? I think, I, I think you, it. you've got to take you got to take the rough with, with the smooth, haven't you? And and think take a more kind of long term view. I mean, I have definitely questioned whether I'm in the right job, like a lot over over certain periods. I mean, during the pandemic, I think everyone was like, "Christ, why am I doing this?" Because I didn't have Charlie taking me to lunch, you know. But like, <laughs> no, it's it's it. I think you're gonna you're gonna have times where you're doing these boring tasks. I mean, like you only have to speak to anyone in like one of those jobs that you sort of think, oh my god, I wish I had that job. Everyone still has to do like emails and boring tasks. You just, as you said, you just gotta be making sure you're getting along with the people that you work with, get through, and try and find like a, a more positive thing to focus on. Because otherwise, you're well. I mean, that's a very miserable. You're never, way to... Yeah, you're never gonna be happy. Basically, so chin up, chin up, Chuck. It'll be sound, fine. Sound advice. Anyway, well, that wraps up this week's Media Week podcast. If you like what you heard, like and subscribe and go to the show notes if you'd like to submit a media anon.